listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. As Mark said, of course, we do, at the beginning of our service, celebrate the ruling that did happen this past week. And uh, my, yes, uh, my older brother was born in May of 1973. That means he was in the womb, my mother's womb, at the time that this ruling took place. My brother is 49 years old. He is, in some ways, the embodiment. You can see the years that we have been under this culture of death. And we live in a culture of death. Ever since the fall, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel, what does he say? In dying, you shall die. And we live in a world that has rebelled against God's creation, rebelled against God's image and his order, and have chosen death instead of life. And we celebrate this step, but let us remember this as well. Everybody needs eternal life in heaven. Okay? We celebrate the extension of lives that could have been very easily taken in the womb. But ultimately, the answer is this. For Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so as we celebrate life, Lebanon, let us us do this. Let us involve ourselves in our community in ways to enhance life and value life. Get involved at a pregnancy center. Get involved in this foster care ministry. Adopt. Do various things to celebrate life, but also tell people of his son. That's how they're going to have eternal life in heaven, and it is only through him. Neither is there salvation, okay, life. Neither is there life in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby men can be saved. And you and I have that message. We have the message of the gospel, and so Share it with your kids. Share it with your neighbors. Share it with your coworkers. Use your mouth and your life to herald life to this world. We celebrate this. And, but we remember that there's so much work to be done. And let us keep at it. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So let's be busy about God's work. This morning, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'll be there in just a moment, but invite you to turn there. Today, we begin a seven-part sermon series on the topic of prayer. And the title of my series for these uh, seven sermons is Teach Us to Pray. This morning, I kind of introduced this series. So this is kind of an introductory message. It'll be a little bit more unusual. 
why focus on prayer? Why do we take a moment to just put aside all the other things that we could study and focus in on this topic of prayer? Well, let me give you some of the initial reasons why I felt motivated to do this. One is I am burdened myself about my own prayer life. That I would do a better job. I would learn how to just call on God more consistently and more faithfully. It was about a year ago uh, when I uh, took a sabbatical. Uh, I read on this topic and continued to increase my burden to, you know what? I need to grow in this area of prayer. That's one of the reasons. Another reason is we did a church survey. Many of you filled this out. This was in reference to uh, the vision of our church and what we're trying to do in reference to Impact Atlanta and just trying to take the temperature of our church to figure out, okay, how are we doing in reference to our core values? And what we learned when we asked you who are members of our church, if you have time, if you have a time of focused prayer in your life. So we asked all of our members that particular, and those of you answered, 43% of you, okay, so almost half responded that either rarely, never, or simply sometimes you have focused prayer. And I'm glad, I'm so thankful for your honesty in reference to that. But what it shouted to me and to, I know the other pastors is, you know what, this is an area that we need to continue to help our church to grow in and give ourselves in reference to prayer. That's another reason. Now, here's another one. Anxiety. Okay. If you were here on Easter Sunday, I talked about the topic of anxiety. I talked about it in my own life, how we're all susceptible to this, and it's so easy, particularly you know, in, in the culture of death and, and with COVID the last two and a half years, is to think about just the fallenness of this world. And, and what do we so often go to? Anxiety and fear. And I reminded you on Easter Sunday from the book of Philippians how God tells us the remedy for fear, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. So another reason why I I want to grow in prayer and I want you to grow in prayer is because we all got anxiety problems, don't we? And we need help. And so that's another reason why I'm doing this. I hope you'll get real in reference to this and, and be open with one another of what you struggle with and pray for one another. We're to do that. Final reason is uh, prayer and the way you pray reveals really what you have faith in and what you believe. One of the books I've picked up in reference to this is a book by Al Mohler. And in this book, he gives this particular quote. He says this, our theology is never so clearly displayed before our own eyes and before the world as in our prayers. What I mean by that is this, if I, let's say I recorded all of your prayers from the last month, okay, I recorded all your prayers and I listened to them and I evaluated them. You know what those prayers would do? It would be a revelation, a window into what you truly believe. But also your prayers show the world what you truly believe. 
So my hope is that the faith that's internal that you will continue to grow in as you come to know Christ better would begin to manifest itself by learning how to pray more accurately and more in line with what God has called you to live and believe. So prayer shows you where you are. And if you're a biblical Christian, okay, no doubt you sense your need to pray. And so I hope that over these seven sermons that I will help in some ways direct us to be more people who depend on God in prayer. Another one of the famous books on prayer that was in my library, I kind of just went to my library in the section that I had on prayer, and I just looked at the, the, the set of books that I have on prayer, and one of the, one, the earliest ones, probably the earliest one I have in my, in my Bible in reference to prayer, was an old book called How to Pray by R.A. Torrey. And just to add other reasons why we ought to pray, As I read the introduction of his book, he just gave 11 reasons why we should pray. Let me just throw some of these at you. Why pray? Let me give you some other reasons. By just, in addition to the ones, the reasons I'm trying to do this, he said this, because there's a devil. Of course, in the Bible, it says that you and I don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual forces uh, of evil in the heavenly places. So what are we supposed to do as you and I live in a world that there's a whole other dimension? We're to do this, praying at all times. In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So why do you need to learn how to pray? Because there is spiritual warfare going on everywhere. And he's told us, pray what? Always. Here's another reason. God has appointed prayer as his way of obtaining things. In fact, it's God's appointed way of obtaining. Our lack is due to our neglect of prayer. You know, why why do so many of us not have the help that we need and even the the resources that we need? Listen to what James 4.2 says. It says, you do not have because you do not what? You do not ask. We ought to be people that are barraging heaven for what we need, not selfishly, because he says, don't just ask for selfish reasons to heap it upon your own lust. And we'll talk a little bit about that at some point. Here's another reason. The apostles saw the priority of prayer. When it came to what they wanted to devote their times to, listen to what the apostles said. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So of the original disciples and the apostles, they said prayer is important. This is what we need to give our energy to. Here's another one. Prayer was prominent in Jesus's earthly ministry. Listen to what it says about Jesus. And rising very early in the morning, while, he was, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. If our Lord... The one who are we are his followers continually prayed. Should not we? Not only that, Jesus's present ministry is all about prayer. 
Listen to what it says in Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying. And if he's praying, and that's part of his current ministry for us, should it not be a priority on our part? Here's another one. Prayer is how we find grace in time of need. How many of you are needy right now? (laughs) Those of you who are parents, it's like, dude, how am I going to do this? Those of you with teenagers, those of you with adult children who maybe are going astray, it's like, I need help. What has God said? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why do we need to focus on prayer for a time? This is where you get grace to help for you in your time of need. Here's another one. Prayer is how Jesus said to receive fullness of joy. Listen to what he says in John 16. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be what? Full. I don't know about you, but I'm a guy whose joy can really fluctuate depending on my circumstances. And one of the things I think that God has used in order to allow us to experience true joy is us learning to live in relationship with him and talk with him and ask him. And it's, it's God's method to find joy. Here's another one that R.A. Torrey says, prayer is God's way to be free from anxiety and have peace. And I already told you the verse here. This is God's pathway. And just a few more, this is how we obtain the Holy Spirit, Okay. In fact, following the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, he tells us this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask Him. And what I mean by this is this. When you got saved, immediately you received the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And He lives inside of you. But the Bible says also that we are to live a life that is submitted to the Spirit and that that you are filled with the Spirit. And how do you do this? You ask Him to fill you and to give you the Spirit in in an incredible measure. And And the way to do this is prayer. Two more. Prayer is how to avoid being distracted with this life and await Jesus' second coming. Listen to what it says in Luke 21. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times. How do you do this? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that were going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And the way that you and I are supposed to keep from, you could say, being distracted by this life is we ought to be prayer, praying people. And then the final thing is this, prayer accomplishes much. 
Those are 11 things that R.A. Tozer, it's like, and what I wanted to kind of do right here at the beginning is this, why are we going to give ourselves to prayer? I gave you four reasons. I just gave you R.A. Tozer's 11 reasons very quickly. Prayer accomplishes much in your own life, in the conversion of souls, in the church's life. We have to give ourselves to prayer. So where do we go from here? Prayer is important. Prayer is something we all need to grow in. And as I was trying to decide what direction to take in reference to prayer, of course, there's a lot of places you could go in the Bible and just kind of sink down and give yourself to understanding a little bit better. I thought about going to the Psalms because David was an incredible prayer and he prayed in all the different circumstances of life. So I thought, hey, I could spend seven weeks looking at various Psalms and learning how to pray through David. I chose not to do that. I said, okay, maybe what we could do is we could look at Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 and how he prayed. And we could examine his prayer in that particular text. But, of course, many of you who are here in the John series, I kind of talked a little bit about that prayer when I was in the John series. I could focus on Paul's prayers You look at the epistles, and Paul is someone who uh, gives himself to pray, uh, and you read about his prayers and how rich they are. And so we could invest our time in Paul's prayers and give our attention to that, and hopefully we will in days ahead, but we're not going to look there. What did you decide to do, Pastor Brian? I decided for this first series that I've done at our church on prayer is I decided that we would focus these seven weeks on the Lord's prayer. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to introduce it to you, okay? This is not a typical Sunday. So if you come to Lebanon Baptist Church, normally I grab one text and I sit there for a long time. I preach it, I teach it, I expose it. Today is kind of an introduction to this series. So it's not typical, but what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce the Lord's Prayer to you. And then over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at some of the contexts that right before the Lord's Prayer, we're going to take up some of the main statements in the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to look at a couple of parables that come right after the Lord's Prayer that kind of are like exclamation points at the end. But let's do this for a moment. If we're going to focus on the Lord's Prayer, let's remind ourselves of it. So would you all join me, many of you who have grown up in church, would you quote with me the Lord's Prayer? So here we go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, many of you may have grown up in various traditions within the church, and maybe that was slightly different than what you have said in the past. But why the Lord's Prayer? Why do we want to give ourselves to this particular prayer? Well, it's found in two different books of your Bible. The Lord's Prayer is found in the book of Matthew, 
And it is also found in the book of Luke. And so I'd like to read both of the accounts. Okay, so you're already at Matthew chapter 6. Did you know that right before Jesus teaches on the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells you before how to pray, he tells you how not to pray. And then, Lord willing, we're going to examine these few verses before the Lord's Prayer next week. But let's read, let me read to you, beginning in verse, uh, beginning in verse 5, it says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the Matthew account of the Lord's Prayer. Now, follow along with me. Turn to the book of Luke. Let's read Luke's uh, version. And that is in Luke chapter 11. I'm just going to read four verses right at the beginning of Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. It says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So those are the two versions of the Lord's Prayer. Okay, and if you and I are going to be able to examine and know the Lord's Prayer, we need to kind of explore both of them. So we're going to take our time looking at both of those versions of it. Just so you're aware as well that the Lord's Prayer is also found in an ancient document called the Didache. The Didache was an ancient early church writing that's not inspired, but really laid out how the early church prayed. The Lord's Prayer, which we find in Matthew and Luke, was probably taught on numbers of occasions by Jesus in his earthly ministry. However, as you've noticed today, it's only recorded in Matthew and in Luke. 
Did you notice that there are slight differences in the two records? Did you catch that? This has to do with the fact that Jesus taught this in various settings. Just like for me, there's times that I've preached the message here at Lebanon Baptist Church, and then I've been invited to speak at some other church. And so when I go and I speak the same exact message, it comes out sometimes a little bit differently. There's a little bit of a focus, a little bit of a change. It's not verbatim the same exact way. Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer in different settings. And so it's good to explore what he said in both of those particular settings. And we'll explore that. The Lord's Prayer, just so you, uh, uh, many of you are aware of this, but the Lord's Prayer has been a major part of church Uh, liturgy. Uh, Many of you may have grown up in a church where every Sunday they would quote the Lord's Prayer within the service. Major Protestant catechisms, such as the Heidelberg and the Westminster catechisms, what were those? Those were ways to teach the next generation of the major doctrines, catechisms where you'd ask a question and there'd be a response. And the major confessions of the faith take a major portion of that uh, particular confession to rehearse and remind and teach the church the Lord's Prayer because it is vitally important for them to know. Personally, I believe, even as I've studied this over the last number of weeks and as I'm working my way through it over the next two months, It would almost be good for you to learn how to say the Lord's Prayer and mean it every day for the rest of your life. Honestly, it would be a good thing not just to get into the ritual, but you actually think and pray and your mind goes to and you live what the Lord's Prayer actually lays out. Did you notice that our modern version has an addition? Did you catch that? You know how we said at the end of it, for, the, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did you find that in the Matthew account? Did you find it in the Luke account? No. What you'll realize is that what we quote, some of it is tradition. Now, is it true that his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? Yes, that is true. But it's actually not in your Bibles, at least some of your versions of the Bible. So why do we study this prayer? Well, number one, we study because it's in the Bible and we ought to study the Bible. But more, this prayer is Jesus' clear lesson to his disciples on how to pray. In fact, we really could call the Lord's Prayer the disciples' prayer. And the reason for that is because the Lord, I mean, he taught them how to pray, but did the Lord have to ask God to forgive him of his trespasses? No, because Jesus was what? He was flawless. 
So in some ways, the Lord's prayer is not really one that the Lord, you could say, necessarily had to pray for forgiveness of sins or anything like that. It was what he knew you and I would need to pray consistently till he comes back. This is how we, you and I, should pray. So what is it? It would be, first of all, I would say, in reference to why the Lord's Prayer, it is our model, okay? Whenever you build something, like uh, uh, just recently, uh, I, I was putting together some furniture, and they gave me the instructions, the model, and I followed the model perfectly. I looked at it, saw what I was supposed to do, and then I did it. The Lord's Prayer is supposed to be our instructions, our model on how we ought to be people that pray. Uh, This past week, my son went to a basketball camp. And one of the things they do at basketball camps is they teach him the basics. Dribbling, passing, shooting. And it's good to learn all the different basics so that when you're in the game, you know how to do it. In the same way, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer gives us the basics. You need to learn how to ask these particular requests consistently so that you're in the game of life. You know how to maneuver it rightly. So why the Lord's Prayer? Well, it's a model to you on how you are to pray in all the situations of life. We are to use this To live our life as we wait for God's kingdom to arrive. In fact, another uh, modern day theologian, N.T. Wright, said this. He calls this the prayer of the new Exodus people. Just like Israel was on their Exodus and they were going through the wandering and they were having to uh, live life on their way to the promised land. He, he painted parallels that will maybe explore in the days ahead how you and I are the new Exodus people. And as we are going through, you could say, our wilderness wandering till we arrive in the land of Canaan, till we get to be with him in heaven. What Jesus lays out is how we are to pray in the midst of our wandering. And so this is a model for us on how to pray. But also it's this, it's a confession. This prayer, if you will pray it and you'll think about it and you'll mean it, it enunciates the Christian worldview to yourself. It helps remind you of what you believe. And it also is a confession to the world of what you believe. It's kind of like a creed. Uh, Where I went to uh, college, it was a Christian school, and every day in chapel, what we had to do was we had to recite our university creed that laid out some of the doctrines of the faith. I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. The creation of man by the direct act of God. The incarnation, the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so every day I was rehearsing it. Why did our school do that? Well, part of it was to remind you of the faith that you believed in. And what the Lord's Prayer does, 
is if you learn what it means and what it says, it helps you to remind yourself of the faith and what it is all about and how to live in this in-between time. So we've got to learn from the Lord's Prayer. It's our confession. It's our statement of faith to a confused world, as one person said. It's the pronouncement of our worldview. And finally, what the Lord's Prayer does, it's, it's like a model, it's like a confession, but it's also kind of a compass for me. And I hope it'll be a compass for you. What does a compass do? A compass always pushes you and points to the north and helps you find direction. What I believe the Lord's Prayer does, if you will pray it accurately and pray it as the Lord wants, it'll force you to realign yourself with what life is all about. It will give you perspective and direction. One person said it this way, it's like an hourglass that concentrates our longings into just a few petitions, the bare necessities of life. And my hope as we study this is that it will be a model to you. It will be your confession. It will be your compass and that you will learn how to pray that prayer consistently in your life. And so for the remainder, just a few minutes, what I want to do is where do you even begin as you study the Lord's prayer? Where do you begin? Well, I want to begin in the verse that precedes the Lord's prayer in Luke 11. I want you to look at verse one. That's all we're going to look at when it comes to it. For the remaining time, verse one is the introduction to the prayer Listen to what it says in Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as Jesus taught his disciples. What's happening in Luke here? In Luke chapter 11... Of course, it comes after Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus had sent out 72 of his disciples, not the 12 plus numbers of other ones who had become his followers, on a mission. And those followers saw acceptance and rejection of Jesus' message. They saw the power that God's message had. They had learned about what true service is through the parable of the Good Samaritan in the middle of Luke chapter 10. Finally, at the end of Luke 10, Jesus taught that their focus should be on him. And he does this through the interaction with Martha and Mary and how Martha was so busy with all the preparations and she was trying to serve Jesus and his disciples. And what was Mary doing? Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, soaking everything in. And Martha goes and complains and says, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. And Jesus, of course, says, you know what, Martha? You are so distracted with all of these things. Mary's chosen the better thing. She's been at my feet. And so the whole context of the giving of the Lord's Prayer is this. Jesus needs to be our priority. God needs to be our priority. They learned that effectiveness in ministry requires a focus on God. And so here, in the midst of all this, one disciple 
expresses a need for divine help on mission. God, how am I supposed to live on mission, live undistractedly at your feet? How do I live like the the good Samaritan? How am I to accomplish this? And look what it says in verse 1, now Jesus. Of course, if you're visiting today, if you don't know who Jesus is, Jesus' name means this, Yahweh saves. Jesus was the God of the universe in human flesh. He lived a flawless life. We know that he would die a cruel death and he would resurrect. But here was Jesus, the infinite God who incarnated on earth. What is Jesus doing? Now Jesus, the Bible says, was what? Praying. You know, this wasn't the first time that Jesus prayed in the book of Luke. In fact, take a moment, just real quickly, go to Luke 3. Luke 3, in verse 21. It says this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and was what? Praying. The heavens were opened. So Jesus starts his earthly ministry after his baptism. What is he doing? He's praying. Okay, go to chapter 4. I'm not going to read anything, but chapter 4, remember, he goes into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and he's tempted by the devil. Devil, <laughs> when, he is, when you're fasting, what are you committing? When a person fasts, they're committing to give extra time to doing what? Praying. So all chapter 4, in the midst of this fasting, he's praying. Go to chapter 5. Look what it says in chapter 5, verse 16. And he would withdraw himself to desolate places and pray. Go to chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 12. In these days, Jesus, he, went out to the mountain to what? To pray. And all night he continued in prayer. Go to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, that his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So what is he doing? He's praying again. Go to verse 28 of that same chapter. It says this, now after about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went on the mountain to what? To pray. And then finally, go to chapter 10, right before you come to the Lord's Prayer. Look what it says in verse 21. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and he said this. Look what he's doing. He's praying. I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Catch this. The God of the entire universe incarnated into human flesh and during his time in his sojourn in human flesh He continually prayed to his father. 
He continued to do it. What an example for us. Here was one who lived in a perfect relationship with the Father. And if Jesus saw the need to continually talk to the Father in a relationship, what about you? And guess what? He has provided you access to the Father. That's why when you pray, you come in Jesus' name, because you know what? There's been a mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. And you and I now can go and talk to the Father at any time because of what the Son does, and you and I can live in relationship with God. Thankfully, in our text, a disciple took initiative and says, man, I need help with this. Who was it? I mean, you know, like when you're in school way back when, and there was like, there was a concept you didn't understand, and you're like, I wish someone would ask. I'm not going to ask. I don't want to look stupid. Maybe the disciples were like, man, this guy keeps praying, and I need some instruction. I'm horrible at this. Who's going to ask? Who's going to ask? Finally, someone does. And oftentimes, it's who? Peter. Peter was often the one who, and maybe it was Peter. We don't have who it was. Maybe it was Matthew. Maybe it was John. I don't think it was Judas, okay? But notice the request. Did you ever catch this? His request was just like our prayer. The text says this, Lord, teach us to what? To pray. And really, what was he doing? He was talking to God and asking God, because Jesus is God, he was asking God to teach him how to pray. And, and evidently, John the Baptist had done this with some of his disciples. He had taught his disciples how, how to pray, and some of them for a time followed John the Baptist. So they wanted Jesus' teaching on how to pray. And here, they ask, and what does Jesus do? Jesus complies. And no doubt these servants are like, Lord, we have served. We've gone into various areas where you've sent us on mission. And we're not like you. We got, we got struggles. We don't know how to pray. We, we're failures. They knew that they needed something more. So they go to the very one who can help them and they ask for his help. And what does he do? He gives them the Lord's Prayer and says, I want you to begin to pray like this. Have you been serving Lebanon Baptist Church and seen your own limits of your own effectiveness? Have you learned that you can't change people? You can't even change yourself. Do you see your own flaws and how you're not like the good Samaritan? Do you see that you're more focused on your own responsibilities like Martha and you're not like Mary? And then do you see your Lord who continually gets alone and prays and is living in perfect relationship to the Father? This morning, I want to invite you to be just like that unknown disciple who just comes to Jesus and says this, Lord, would you teach me how to pray? Would you teach me how to pray? Will you be one who goes to him for instruction? We live in a broken world. I'm telling you, 
the longer you live, those of you who have gray hair, you know. I, mean, I, I think we live... The reason God lets us live a long time is the longer we live, the more broken we see and the more we see we need his help. It's too much for us. And my application today is simple. Would you simply just go to the Lord and ask him through this next series and through your study of the Lord's Prayer, would you just ask him this, Lord, would you teach me to pray? Would you teach me to pray as John taught his disciples? And would you teach me how to be a prayer warrior till you come back? Because I'm telling you, Lebanon, you are not going to make it well if you don't learn how to pray. And if there's any place you can learn how to pray, it's by Jesus' own little teaching. If you're going to pray, pray like this. And so I hope that you will buckle your seatbelt and let God take his word and teach you how to pray. But before you do that, will you be the disciple that comes to him this morning and says, teach us to pray? And I invite you to do that right now. In just a moment, I'm just going to have you bow your head. And if you're with your family this morning, if you're with your family, maybe it's just you kind of turn all in. And would you ask God to teach your family how to pray? If you're maybe by yourself today, could you be that one solitary disciple who just today, just on your own, just says, Lord, would you, through this next number of weeks, would you teach me how to pray the way you have designed me to pray, to live in relationship with you? That's how we're going to start this series. Ask him. And I'll tell you this, he'll open your hearts if you ask him. Okay, so take a moment, heads bowed, eyes closed, and I will close us in prayer in just a moment. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.